0: good morning you know uh, we all need community and i think god never intended us to do life alone especially when life gets really hard and we go through difficult times and so we as a church want to help you find that community because we think if you could find friends or people that you know that can care about you and pray for you especially when life gets hard it really makes it so much better because some you know nowadays we don't have that extended family So we think that's really important to get connected to a life group or a small group or even a MOPS ministry, something like that. Because doing life alone, especially at difficult times like that, um, is really, really hard. Hey, we're glad uh, you're here today. If you're joining us online, welcome. We're glad you're joining us. Uh, We're moving through what we call the letters or the epistles of the New Testament. And uh, the idea there is that you could walk in and say, I don't know anything about this epistle or this letter, but as you leave this place, you'll say, well, I understand a lot more today, and there's something here that applies to my life. So we're looking at 1 Timothy today, and uh, Timothy was a person, and I want to ask you a question before we get started uh, and jump into the text. Have you ever wondered why uh, or where churches get their ideas as far as what should uh, uh you know should you have an elder should you have a deacon should you have a pastor what should the structure of the church look like where does the church get that because i i'm sure many of you have been to different churches and they're all there you know there's a lot of variety out there right and some wear robes and some don't wear robes and some go through different you know and some have different offices and you say well where do you get that well um Most of what we get is from the New Testament, and it's from the book of Acts, so we can watch the early church and learn kind of how they were structured a little bit. Um, The other thing is, when we read epistles like this one here, 1 Timothy, which has from Paul to a young man named Timothy, his protege, a lot of instructions for the local church. So from 1 Timothy, we get a lot of information. And what we find is, the New Testament doesn't really give us a lot of information as to how the church ought to be structured, as much as it does say, make sure you have the right leaders in the place of leadership. Now, there are certain things that every church should be doing, and you can find that from the New Testament, but the actual day-to-day functions of the church and how they are to, when you read through First and Second Timothy and Titus, you get some information about what is the church supposed to do in the day-to-day? And, and what should the leaders look like? And, and how do you deal with false teaching and things along those lines? And, and how do you deal with, you know, when there's conflict? Well, Paul tells you in letters like 1 Timothy. So we're going to jump into 1 Timothy right now. And if you want to turn there in your uh, Bible, scoop, go, go ahead. We're going to be actually in the first chapter. But let me just give you a little background about First 1 Timothy. Timothy is the one that Paul writes to. And Paul wrote the letter. He wrote it to Timothy. Timothy was Paul's protege. And probably what happened was um, in Acts 16, we read that, that Paul and Barnabas decided to go their separate ways. And Paul and Barnabas were, went out on the first missionary journey, decided that they were going to part ways. And so Paul added Timothy to go with him on the second missionary journey. So that's where they met. You can read about that in Acts chapter 16. And so Paul wrote two letters to Timothy, 1st and 2nd Timothy. And so I'm going to talk about 1st Timothy today, and then Paul's, or Paul, yeah, it would be nice to have Paul come and tell us a little bit about it, but he's not available from last last time I checked. But Mark is going to come and talk about 2nd Timothy. But we call 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus, we call those the pastoral epistles. Now, the reason we call them pastoral epistles is simply because Paul is writing as an older, more seasoned pastor to a younger, uh, beginning pastor, and he's giving them information and he's coaching him and he's trying to encourage him. So we call those a pastoral epistles. Paul probably wrote Timothy um, while he was uh, serving. Uh, and Timothy, interestingly enough, the church that Timothy's serving is the church of, at Ephesus. Now, we talked about the church at Ephesus when we talked about the book of Ephesians, which was written to the book, the churches of Ephesus, the region of Ephesus. And so Timothy's in this church, and this is a tricky church. Paul had been there three three Sundays, three Sabbaths, and, uh, well, that would have been a Saturday because it's a Sabbath, but he had been there three Sabbaths, and he had been teaching in the synagogue, and he... He and his his group had gotten kicked out of town. You may have remembered that. And so Paul had kind of built and worked on building the church. And he wrote Ephesians is just filled with a lot of rich theology. But now Timothy's in Ephesus trying to help the church that Paul started. And there's problems in the church. There's false teachers. They're teaching things like Jesus has already come. You missed it. There's only a certain kind of food you should eat. Um, There's these weird ideas they got from the Torah about sex and marriage, and they were teaching, it was like a false teaching. There was bad teachers getting up, there was just bad things. And so Paul basically writes Timothy, and he basically gives him direction for how the church ought to behave what the offices should look like, what the qualifications should be for those who are going to serve in those offices. So you'll see a list. So you'll see elders, and you'll see the qualities of elders. You know, they should be this, and they should be this, and they should be this. And, and then he talks about the qualifications for deacons, and he said they should be this, and they should be this. And he goes on, and he, and he, he gives instructions for how things ought to happen within the worship service. And, and how there should be done decently in order, because there was disorder and there were a lot of problems. And so Paul gives all that instruction in First Timothy. He gives direction to the church and says, this is how you should do it. These are the leaders you should look for, and this is how you can bring health to this church. So Paul is giving uh, Timothy instruction on how to do that. Um, the interesting thing is... Um, Paul knew that Timothy had his hands full. <laughs> you know, he's a young guy. He's going to a church, and this church has been challenged. It's been a rich church in a sense of it's been, you know, strong, but it's, it's kind of also allowed some false teachers to come, and it's had its, its, its issues. And so Timothy's coming into a church that's not really super healthy, and he's trying to bring health into it, and this is a real challenge. So Paul basically says to him, make sure you understand what the gospel is. Don't forget the gospel. That's what you're taking to the church. Always got to be about the gospel. But then he says, he uses a phrase a couple of times in his epistles, and especially in this one. He says, fight the good fight. Have you heard that phrase before? Fight the good fight. And we use it in a secular world. We say, fight the good fight. Well, this comes from 1 Timothy, where Paul says, fight the good fight. So let's look at 1 Timothy. We're going to start at verse 12. And Paul's going to talk about something that's kind of, um, it's so appropriate for our day and our time. And I don't know where you're at. And whether you're watching or whether you're, you're, you're here in house, I don't know where you're at. But I just want to tell you that God wants to speak to you today through his word. So as, as I read through it, just in your own heart, just pray, God, what is it that you want me to take away today from your word? And I believe that God will show you something, and I believe God will do something in your life today. Let me read this uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1, starting at verse 12. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I once was a blasphemer and a persecutor, And a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Now, notice what he says here. This is a remarkable statement by Paul Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his eminence, patience, as an example for those who would believe in him to receive and receive eternal life. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And then he says this, Timothy, my son, I am giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by recalling them you may fight the battle well or fight the good fight, holding on to the faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and so have suffered shipwreck with regard to the faith. All right, so what I want to do for the rest of our time is I want to talk about three signs that you. understand you get the gospel and you may say well i understand the gospel." well this is a i want you to understand the gospel in your heart today and so we want to say what are three things that you that are really necessary if you understand the gospel number one that you will own your sin you won't make excuses you won't blame shift you'll say it's it's on me You own your sin, but you won't be crushed by it, won't be broken by it, you won't be destroyed by it. Now, how do you hold that balance? Let's talk about that. Notice what he says. Paul says, here's a trustworthy saint that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to say sinners, of whom I'm the worst. Paul says, I was the worst sinner that's that's ever walked on this planet. There's no one worse than me. No one. I am by far the worst. Now, that's an incredible statement. First, he says, I was a blasphemer of Jesus. And he was. But here's the interesting thing. He he could say, and he actually did say that, but I did it out of ignorance. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know, you know, I didn't know what I was saying. I was blind. Now I see, right? <laughs> right? But the other thing he says, he says, I was a persecutor of the church. Um in the first mention we have of, of Paul. At that time, he was called Saul, but he changed, later changed, his, his name was changed to Paul at his conversion. But in Acts chapter 7, we have uh, one of the, it's the first martyr of the church, and it's Stephen. And Stephen is up and he's giving a, a, a testimony. And, he, and there's an angry mob around him, and he's basically saying, "This Jesus is the Messiah. He's come, and he's given his life, and you crucified him." And essentially, and at, at the end of his 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 long, you know, message, you could read about it in, in chapter six and seven. Uh, you, you'll you'll see, T- Timothy, or excuse me, Stephen says, "I." He looked up and he says, "I see heaven opening, and a son of man standing by the throne of." And at that moment, people were incensed, and they began to stone him. And he stoned him to death. And it says in the passage, as you read it, it's almost kind of in passing. And Saul stood there by the cloaks, approving of it. That was where it all began. And Saul became, you know, went out and started persecuting the church. He began to find Christians, dragging them out of their houses. He went from town to town, got them thrown into prison. Some of them, he, he was through his actions, people died. Um, that, that was where Paul was. He was a persecutor of the church. But the other thing it says is he says Paul was a violent man. So the phrase is used in some translations violent man. But the other, the other way that you can take that word is he was arrogant. He was arrogant. Paul was a proud man. Uh, you know, pride isn't always a bad thing, but many times it is. Paul was a very proud man. He thought of himself too highly. He, he looked down on others, and he allowed his, uh, his arrogance to lead to violence. Um, and outwardly, he probably was looked at as pious, as religious, as moral, and, but inwardly, there was pride. Now, I think pride manifests itself in at least two ways, and I've seen both of them. You probably have, too. The first one is pride manifests itself in us when we look at ourselves and we say, I'm not so bad. I'm not so bad. I know other people that are far worse than me. I'm not perfect, but I know a lot of people who are far worse than me. I'm not that bad. I am, uh, I, I'm doing okay. Now, um, it's interesting there's a story, and write this down. Luke chapter seven, starting at verse sixteen. So there's a story that's told. It's a very interesting story. Jesus is invited to the house of Simon, and Simon is a rab, uh, is a is a Pharisee, and Simon invites Jesus to his house. And um, at the, and here's the thing. So this woman is there, and she wasn't invited, but um, she. From the time that Jesus sits down at the meal, she is weeping at his feet, anointing him with oil, wiping his feet with her hair, kissing his feet. She is just a mess. She's an absolute mess. And uh, interestingly enough, people that are around the table and people that are watching, most of them Pharisees and friends, uh, are kind of, they noticed it. (laughs) Of course you'd notice it, right? It's pretty obvious. But they're sneering, they're looking down at the woman, they're mocking her, the woman. They're, they're basically going, huh, if this man knew who this woman was, he would never allow her to do this, and and you know there's there's this yank yeah, yank yeah, yank yeah, yank yeah, right, and they're just going after this woman, and Jesus is well aware of what they're doing. Now, what was the woman doing? The woman was broken. The woman was hurting the woman was understanding who Jesus was that he was the Savior the Lamb of God who John the Baptist said who takes away the sins of the world and she fell at his feet because what you know what she realized she realized she was lost she realized she was a sinner and she realized she needed a Savior and she was at Jesus feet Begging him. The other righteous Pharisees were standing around judging her. That's what pride does. You can look down on other people, but you never see your own sin. Do you? And so Jesus is well aware of this. He calls Simon over. And he says, Simon... Um, do you know that, 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 that since I came here, this woman has been at my feet. She's been washing my feet with her tears and anointing me with oil and, and wiping her my feet. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. Do you know, Simon, that you never offered me the common decency, the common hospitality of our time to offer to wash my feet or to allow my feet to be washed or me to even have a pan of water you you never even granted me the basic hospitality and yet this woman has been all over the hospitality for me and he says to simon this woman's sins which are many are forgiven and then it is a remarkable phrase jesus says this the one who is forgiven much loves much and the opposite is true the one who doesn't think they're forgiven very much doesn't really appreciate it here's the thing jesus was saying to simon and to the rest of the pharisees that day and to us who say, I'm not that bad, think again. You are absolutely that bad, and you're far worse than you ever dreamed. I think of Isaiah. If you remember um, in Isaiah 6, and some of you don't know this passage, but in Isaiah 6, we see the prophet Isaiah gets a vision of God. And it's got to be a partial vision because he he would be done if he saw the glory of God in all of its fullness. But he sees a portion, a a, a smidgen of the glory of God. And what was his first response when he sees the glory of God in Isaiah 6? You can read about it. He says, cool. No, that's not what he says. He doesn't say cool. He says what? Woe is me, for I I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell with unclean people. In other words, he's saying... I am an absolute mess. When I compare myself to other people, I'm okay. But when I compare myself to the glory of God, I fall incredibly short of His glory. So short that I am, whoa, are you kidding me? I'm in trouble. I'm a mess. That's the woman at Jesus' feet. When you are proud, you can look down on other people, but it's hard to see your own sin. But when you are broken by your sin, when you see the glory of God, all of a sudden now, you basically say, whoa! That's why the woman was weeping at Jesus' feet. So that's one, that's one way that pride manifests itself. Paul says, I was the worst of sinners. He was saying, whoa! But I've heard this one. Maybe you have too. I'm too far gone. I'm too far gone. Paul says this, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Can you imagine what it must have been like for Paul to know that as he was went from Saul, the persecutor of the church, to Paul, the one who was planting churches. He must have met family members of people that he had put in prison or even caused their death. It's possible that he was one day introduced to Stephen's parents. How do you you like that? How How would you respond to that? Paul, I want you to meet, these These were Stephen's parents. And you were the one that was standing there while their son was being stoned to death. How do you get past that? How do you get past that you say, I have done such horrible things. Paul says, I was the worst of sinners. You know what Paul's saying here? It's very interesting. He's essentially saying, I'm the poster boy. If you think you're bad, I'm a lot worse than you ever were. You're you're in the minor leagues compared to me. I'm in the pro leagues. I was the worst of sinners. What's he saying? Even though I was the worst of sinners, God's grace was sufficient for me. And if it's sufficient for me, you're, you're not a big deal. He can forgive you, too. I've heard people say to me, people have come up to me and said, Pastor, I wish that God could forgive me. But if I told you what I have done in my life, you you would, you would question whether God for, could forgive me. Or I've been gone so long. I've done so many horrible things. I just don't believe that God can forgive me. I've done so many terrible things. And Paul says, I was the worst of sinners. I was the poster boy. If you think you can't be forgiven, you take a look at my life. Now, here's the balance. The balance is, is really important. You have to come to a place where you hold these intentions. Paul is basically saying that I'm a sinner. He's saying, I'm a sinner. I'm the worst of sinners. But the other side of the coin is, but I'm his son, and I'm forgiven. <laughs> That's how he was able to make it. I mean, if you just see yourself beaten down as a sinner, as you're just a woman at his Jesus' feet, if you're just Isaiah who sees your sin, then you're in trouble, but what happened? Isaiah cleanses, or God cleanses Isaiah and sends him on a mission. God forgives Paul and sends him on a mission. And Paul holds his head up, not because he's good, not because he deserved it, not because he earned it. He holds his head up because God has forgiven him. That Jesus came as a rescue party of one. He climbed up on a cross and he said, it is finished. And when Jesus says something is finished, it's finished. And I don't know why we want to put where it says he, he separates our sins as far as the east is from the west. I don't even know what that is. how that works. It's, he says your, your sins are in the deepest of the oceans, but somehow, for some reason, we want to have a fishing sign there, and we want to drag it all back up. But I just want you to know the Bible says in John, if you confess your sins he is faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So pride comes out in two ways. Number one, it says, I'm not so bad. The other way it comes out, it says, I'm a mess and God could never forgive me. And I want to just tell you both of those are very, very proud statements and anti-gospel. The gospel says something very simple and very devastating and very encouraging at the same time. It says, you are far worse of a sinner than you ever thought or dreamed. But you're far more loved than you could ever conceive. That's how Paul could hold his head up. So if if you understand the gospel, the gospel that Paul's trying to get Timothy to, to hold in on, you'll come to a place where you'll say, You are a sinner. But you are a son and a daughter at the same time. You can't can't brag about that. Nothing to brag about there. It keeps you firmly planted on the ground. You don't make excuses for your sin. You own it. But you're also not devastated and destroyed by your sin because you're forgiven and he calls you his son and daughter. And you're able to move on. Here's the second thing. You're more, you, 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 you move to praise when you ponder the cross. Look, look at what he says here. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Now some of you didn't catch that, but some of you thought, as I was reading through that, you said, oh, wait a minute. If I was Paul's editor... I might move that to the end of the whole epistle, right? Let's put that at the end. Because it seems like this is an odd place to put it. Because he's here, and then he's going to say, oh, and by the way, Timothy, blah, blah, blah. You know, he goes on. And you say, what's going on here? What's going on here with Paul is the same thing that went on with a woman. The woman was confronted with her sinfulness, and she fell at the feet of Jesus for mercy. And she was in awe of him. And Paul came to a place as he started talking about how he was the worst of sinners. And he realized and he remembered all, probably he had flashbacks of things that he had done and people he had thrown in jail and people who were dead because of his actions. And he, he was overwhelmed by it. But then he was overwhelmed by the grace and the forgiveness of God. And that drove him to his knees. It drove him to praise. And he said, how incredible, how marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's love for me. That's what drove him to praise. And that's what happens, right? When we understand the Gospel, he became overwhelmed with the goodness of God in his life. That God's grace stopped him in his tracks that day, wrecked him, broke him down, and drove him to praise and worship. That praise and worship was Paul basically just say, "I can't. I got to stop here and just thank God." Have you ever have you ever had that moment? When was the last time you had a moment where you reflected on the goodness and the grace of God, and it just stopped you in your tracks? You just, "I got to just stop and just thank God. I just got to praise God for a moment." That's what's happening to Paul right now. Paul wrote this in 2 Corinthians 5:21 God made him that's Jesus who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God and That says it's incredible what Paul's saying here Paul's saying that God made Jesus sin not he'd made him sin but he made him to be sin And that Jesus bore the sin of all the world. That Because He bore the sin of all the world, He was forgotten. He was put aside. He was the worst person. He was the worst person that ever walked this planet because He bore all of the sin. And when you understand and reflect upon His sacrifice and see your desperate need, it will drive you to your knees. But I think the opposite is true. That if you don't think your sin's such a big deal, if you don't think you've done that much that's oppressive to God, then you won't make a big deal out of it. When Isaiah saw his sin, he said, Woe is me. When the woman saw her sin, she fell at the feet of Jesus. When Paul saw his sin, he broke into praise. I think the problem with American the American church and Christians today is we just don't think our sins so bad. We just don't think our our outright rebellion against God is a big deal. We have to rethink that, don't we? I think when Paul says I was the worst of sinners, I don't think he's downplaying his sin. I think he's taking it very seriously. I don't think, I think sometimes we're more like the Pharisees standing around at the party that day looking at people and saying, now there's a real sinner. Remember the story Jesus told? uh, Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and he goes in and he says, Lord, I do this and I do this and I do this. And he sees this man on his face before the Lord uh, and and he says, and I thank you that I'm not like that guy. What's going on there? He's obviously not seen his own sin. He sees the sin of others, but not his own. What did the other man say? Do you remember? I think he said something like this, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus essentially said two men went into the temple to pray that day, and one person went out that day forgiven. Guess who it wasn't? Right? See, and that's my, that's my point. Do you understand the abomination of your sin against God? We, you can downplay it. You can say it's a small thing. You can blame other people. You can do all of that. But Paul basically said, I am a sinner. Isaiah said, I am a sinner. The woman said, I am a sinner. And until you come to that place on your knees before God where you say, I am a sinner... You'll never break into praise. Why would you? You've got nothing to be thankful for. Here's the third part about the gospel. You'll fight the good fight, and you will share the true gospel. Paul's basically warning Timothy. He's saying, Timothy, there are teachers in the church right now that are teaching a false gospel. You have to get the gospel right. You have to be correct on this. If people don't hear the gospel, the true gospel, there's, then all is lost. And, and so don't get distracted by dietary things or all, you know. the Lord has come back and all these crazy things out there. And by the way, I don't think the church is distracted today at all by any of those things. Yeah, 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 they are. The church is terribly distracted today. We have moved away from, oh, we know the gospel, we know the gospel, we know the gospel. No, you don't know the gospel, we don't know the gospel. If we knew the gospel, we'd be broken over our sin, we'd be falling into praise of God on a ra- regular basis, and we wouldn't take our sins so, and we wouldn't look down on other people, and we would deal with our pride in a very different ways, if we knew the gospel. I like what Tim Keller says. He says, The gospel shows us that we are more wicked than we ever dared to believe, but we are more loved than we ever dare to hope. And how are you doing today? Do you think you're too far gone? That God can't forgive you? Well, bless your little heart. You're an idiot. <laughs> I'm sorry. You're wrong. Paul says, I'm the poster boy. If God could forgive me, he could forgive you. Maybe you're here and you say, I'm I'm not that bad. I I know a lot of people that are worse than me. Join the party. Simon's having it. You're one of the guests. I know I'm being a little snarky now, aren't I? (laughs) Are you moved to praise when you consider the cross? Somebody has said, the ground is level beneath the cross. There's no one great or small there. We're all sinners saved by grace. And we all are desperately in need of it because we're all, we're all helpless and hopeless. Can you say today, that there has been a moment, a time in your life where you called upon the Lord, you're not trusting in your heritage, you're not trusting in a religious tradition, you're not trusting in this idea that one, you know, I, I believe in God, or I'm better than most, or God grades them. You just, there's been a moment where you realize that you were lost, you were hopeless, you were helpless, and Jesus Christ got off of his throne, came from heaven to, to earth as a rescue party of one. He climbed up on a cross. He raised his arms. And he says, I love you this much. And he gave his life to you. No one took it. He gave it to you. He died so that you could live. He took your sins so that you could be forgiven. And you called upon him. You say, Jesus, I'm a mess. I'm drowning. And I need a savior. You're the woman at his feet. You're Isaiah is seeing the vision. And you're saying, woe is me. Has there ever been a moment where you said, woe is me? And said, Jesus. Save me? Or are you trying to save yourself? You're trying to be good enough? That's not the gospel. The Bible says, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Have you ever called upon the name of the Lord? And then, final question have you gotten away from the gospel? Have you gotten away from the gospel? Every day of your life, the gospel should break you over again. It, 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 you will not be paralyzed because you, you hold the truth intention. I'm a sinner, I'm lost, I'm helpless, and I'm hopeless, but I'm his son, I'm his daughter. Somebody has said, and I love the statement, that God can take crooked sticks and draw straight lines. And Paul is essentially saying, You want to see a crooked stick? You ever see? We were driving last night. Uh, illinois wisconsin border and the signs were (laughs) like you know the road's going like that it's like it's not straight it's curvy right paul would say you want to see a crooked stick i am the worst the most crooked stick there ever was but boy didn't god draw a straight line in his life with his life right so i don't really know what your story is but i do know this I don't care how crooked your stick is, it's not as crooked as Paul's. And God still wants to draw a straight line with your life and do incredible things with you and through you. Because God loves using crooked sticks to draw straight lines. Stand with me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for bringing us together, and thank you for your word, and help us to take our sin seriously, not to blame shift or make excuses for it, but to acknowledge it. Thank you that uh, John wrote in his epistle, 1 John, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank you, Father, that when we call upon the name of the Lord, we, see that we receive that forgiveness that we don't deserve and we never earn. It is a gift, given to us by you and thank you father that you love using crooked sticks to draw straight lines help us to recognize the pride that can get entrenched into our lives help us to just weed it out today father and whatever the next step we need to take is father i pray that the spirit of god give the courage and the direction to do something today so that we can really behave as your sons and daughters this week. We ask this for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.